0: All right, it's so news to us. We are uh, live here on Yobi Radio the day before election day is when we're doing this show. It is November 2nd, the week of November 2nd. lot's going to happen this week, and we're going to be talking about all of that uh, next week. But this week, a big show. We're kind of getting both sides of the aisle, I guess you could say, because we're going to, for the first time, talk to somebody who is uh, not only on uh, the right, but also was very deeply entrenched in the right. Rick Gates, former Trump campaign political consultant. Uh, you may recognize his name from the Mueller investigation and the show. We've uh, talked to, we brought him up a lot. We're excited to talk to Rick Gates. Also very excited to talk to Carolyn Maloney of New York's 12th representative. I should say Carolyn Maloney. She's running for reelection and she's uh generous enough to give us a couple minutes uh, tonight before, um, Election day tomorrow. Big day. I bet she's pretty stressed.
1: I'm sure she's. I mean, it's so busy right now for her. I'm sure.
2: Big day.
0: Yeah. So here we go. It's news to us.
3: With Eddie, Jason, and Katie.
0: So we're going to get uh, Rick Gates live on the uh, the phone here in just a second. Before we do that, though, um, if just again, if you're listening on the podcast, the show is done just the day before Election Day, and uh, we're pretty nervous. Katie's not sleeping.
2: sleeping. (laughs) I feel like I have a rock in my stomach.
0: You didn't sleep at all. Are you going to get some rest tonight? Because we we are going to be live all night on Election Night on IW Radio. Are you going to be uh, rested enough for that?
2: Good God, I hope I sleep tonight. I plan on <laughs> taking like a hot shower before bed and maybe eating some Benadryl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad uh, idea. I mean, I don't know. I, I was telling you guys before that I don't think that we're going to know the results of the election tomorrow. Uh, you guys think we will? I do. I, I think we'll have a good idea.
2: I like, think we'll have a pretty clear picture.
1: Although... Think- I will say that all the officials have been saying that we will not know, and that we should be waiting, you know, a week or two. Yeah. So, really knowing—that's what all the officials are saying.
0: So, why are you countering the officials? Is what I'm wondering. Maybe,
1: maybe it's hope, Eddie. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm hopeful that (laughs) we'll know during our live broadcast tomorrow, where we'll be uh, joining all of Adobe's loyal listeners for four or five hours.
2: Well, I'm just hedging on the fact that, like the polls have been rushed by millions and millions and millions of Democratic voters, and it's just gonna be a freaking blowout, and it's gonna be clear as day. So there we go.
0: Well, we'll see what happens. Vote or die. It's news to us. Election 2020 coverage continues. We're back. It's news to us. Our first guest tonight, you probably recognize his name, Rick Gates. He's you know come up a lot on this show over the past several years. Now, Rick Gates is a former political consultant and lobbyist. He worked as an aide on the Trump campaign in twenty sixteen. He would later become a star witness in the Mueller investigation, testifying to information that helped convict both Paul Manafort and Roger Stone as he flipped on Donald Trump. After cooperating with the investigation, he pleaded guilty to his own crimes of conspiracy and lying to the FBI. He was sentenced to 45 days in jail and given three years probation. Since then, he's written a new book called Wicked Games and mr rick gates is joining us live on the phone right now it's news to us mr gates thank you for taking the time sir
3: thanks for having me guys appreciate it
0: yeah it's uh, good to have you i'm eddie and uh, jason katie are here as well and uh special correspondent chris as well so um how's your evening going what are you up to this evening
3: I am uh, busily crunching numbers and uh, looking at battleground states and trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow.
0: Yeah, we'll be live covering that tomorrow. It's going to be an exciting night. Uh, but how, you know, how did you get into politics to begin with?
3: So I started uh, right out of college. I worked for a uh, political consulting firm in Washington, D.C. Uh, starting in 1994 and it had a lot of Um, uh, consultants who had worked on various presidential campaigns um, throughout history. And uh, a lot of them were um, connected to uh, Richard Nixon and Jimmy Carter uh, and Bob Dole. And they just kind of went from there. And I started working internally and then uh, went to work for some of their clients and also got into international elections and kind of exporting the American model of political campaign to other countries. So it was a a fascinating experience and then got uh, reconnected with some colleagues. And one of them uh, was uh, involved with uh, or gotten involved with Donald Trump's campaign in 2016.
0: What attracted you to Donald Trump's campaign? Uh,
3: honestly, at the time, ironically, I was uh, actually heading out of politics and I uh, was doing it for uh, a friend to kind of help him plan what was happening in the primary process. And if you recall, in 2016, there was a belief that there was going to be a contested convention, and that was going to be problematic for the Republicans and the candidates. And Donald Trump had been the front runner, and we uh, jumped on board uh, to help him with the convention uh, and didn't know if it was even going to go that far. So it was kind of funny, but as I spent a considerable amount of time with him, I got to know him and his style of campaigning, and the more I saw, the more I was just, you know, uh, kind of awestruck with how a guy who's never had any political experience could resonate and, and be understood and, and capture a lot of the critical issues that were of interest to the American people at the time.
1: Now, when you say we and my friend, are you referring to Paul Manafort?
3: Uh, yeah, there were several people. Paul came into the campaign as the convention manager. And I came in under him as deputy convention manager, and then we had some other people that had been in our uh, political operation that came into the campaign as well. Uh, but yes, Paul is uh, one of them as well.
0: So having worked uh, on the 2016 campaign for Donald Trump, are there any uh, striking differences that you see between 2016 and 2020, anything that might sway this, uh, this election in either direction?
3: Well, I think the, the, the one thing I've noticed is it seems like he has more energy in 2020 than he did in 2016, which is kind of uh, crazy to think about. Um, but, you know, in terms of the uh, kind of like the polling and looking at the battleground states, you know, there's it, it's really going to come out, you know, to uh, the intensity or enthusiasm factor and whether or not he can get uh, the Republican voters out. I will say one thing that is different, a major difference. That uh, relates to that is this idea of intensity. A lot of these kind of boat parades, car parades, everything that's been in in kind of support of Donald Trump has largely been organic this time around. It's something that we tried to do in 2016, but we just didn't have enough time or resources. And it seems like over the four years since you know he was elected uh, last cycle, that they've been able to kind of get this growing. And these these boat parades and everything—I mean, those are local communities setting them up. They're not you know, pushed by the campaign or the Republican Party. And I think that's a major difference because that shows you kind of the intensity level of of his voters and and whether or not they're going to come out and vote.
0: How did you feel? Um, Yeah, go ahead, Katie. Oh,
2: sorry. In your new book, you talk about the Trump factor. Um, Can you explain that a little bit and tell us what you think about Trump currently being behind in most of the polls?
3: Absolutely. I think, as, and you'll see we found this in 2016, Um, We called it the Trump factor. Uh, It was another name for the silent Trump vote. And this is largely why many of the pollsters, most of the pollsters got it wrong in 2016 is because nobody had any idea how much of a a factor that was. And we calculated it out to be about 4% uh, in 2016. I think it's going to be even higher in 2020. uh, And it is going to have an impact on the election. And look, I think everybody knows at least somebody out there who, you know, says that they're not really going to vote for Trump, but they do. uh, And they just don't want to, you know, communicate that to whether it's family members or colleagues at work or whatever. So it is a real factor and it is going to be uh, a significant, uh, you know, um, impetus for the election tomorrow, particularly in terms of looking at a lot of these battleground states and whether or not they're actually going to have people come out and uh, you know, uh, vote for Trump when they might be Democrat, for example.
2: You don't think that aspects of his presidency will have dampered that Trump factor at all, like COVID oh, nineteen no. or yeah, impeachment or alternative facts or
3: yeah. Look, I think there are definitely. I think you're going to see uh, people that voted for him in 2016. Uh, that may not vote for him this time for, you know, whatever reason. They didn't like the tweets. They didn't like some of the the rhetoric he used. But then I think you're going to also see other people that didn't vote for him in 2016 that understand, you know, for them the economy is of the importance and they want to see somebody that can actually, you know, uh, rebuild the economy, um, you know, from where it was with COVID. Look, I mean, you know, I'd say with, you know, the pandemic, you know, no government in the world was prepared for it. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of lessons that will be learned, but I think, you know, the one thing that strikes me is, is just kind of disappointing is that there are, are Democrats or other Americans out there that think that like Donald Trump wanted, you know, these people to to be harmed in some way. Um, and, and it just, that's just sounds so, you know, un-American. I'd say the same thing if there was a Democrat in office too. I mean, the idea is that we want to, get behind our leaders to just to support them uh, and and hopefully he you know will find a solution i think he's done a great job with the vaccine in terms of you know hopefully getting that out by the end of the year so we'll see what happens how about
0: the <laughs> reports that uh jared kushner was blocking aid to democratic states uh did you catch up on any of that what do you what's your take on that
3: yeah. I mean, I think that's uh politics. That's as easy as saying, you know, other Democrats, you know, block the stimulus package up on uh, Capitol Hill. I mean, I think, you know, again, it's unfortunate if, if, if that were the case, I, I don't believe it to be, but um, you know, I know that there were reports uh, out there to suggest it, but I think if you look at a whole, what we need to do is put politics in the background and make sure the people are, are taking care of whether it's, uh, you know, Republicans in power or Democrats in power. You say that we couldn't,
1: you know, politicians, uh, couldn't see the pandemic happening but in 2018 uh trump disbanded the national pandemic response team and cut uh cdc funding and uh, uh in china by two thirds I, I mean didn't we kind of set ourselves up through his decisions to put us where
3: we are now yeah i would disagree with that i think if you look at the cdc clearly as we're learning now it had a lot of problems You know, even under the Obama administration, and my guess is probably before that, you know, CDC wasn't tested until when we had the H1N1, um, you know, flu under the Obama years. And we saw what a kind of, you know, utter failure the CDC was. And I think you're seeing kind of the same thing, you know, again, this time around, where I hope whoever is president, uh, you know, this time around, they go back and they make sure they do a deep dive into the CDC and fix it. Because it's clearly failed multiple times across, you know, multiple administrations.
1: I mean, you say that, but the CDC was kind of the benchmark for, for uh, combating uh, diseases and such. Other countries, you know, followed the CDC and, and implemented the same type of program in their own countries. So I find it kind of hard to believe that the CDC failed uh, in this aspect. The CDC played a
4: central role in beating back various Ebola outbreaks uh, in Africa over the last... Sure, uh, but I
3: mean, so what we're saying is that the CDC is right 100% of the time? Absolutely not. If there's anything we learned through this pandemic, some of the scientists have been wrong because they just don't know what they're dealing with. And and that's been not just in the United States, but across, you know, the globe. So I don't look. I mean, the CDC is there as a government institution to, you know, eventually protect us in situations like this. Clearly, again, it has failed across administrations. It's not just one. So I think a, a hard look needs to be done at a lot of these organizations that are supposed to provide these protections. I mean, the testing, for example, a lot of that had nothing to do with the Trump administration. That was well, you know, before, you know, maybe even the, I mean, it hit the Obama administration, but you know, that was something that came out, you know, that we learned from the pandemic coming out this time around.
2: So what do, what do we say about other countries being able to handle the pandemic Um, You know, Australia right now is reporting zero deaths and zero new infections. Um, You know, Taiwan, North or South Korea, other countries are handling this so much better than we are. Um, Well, I mean, where where do we stand on that as far as...
3: I think some countries are doing, you know, a better job than than others. I mean, you look at Europe, they're going into their, you know, kind of second massive uh, lockdown. So clearly they're not doing great. And if you want to take the South Korean model, that's fine. But there's a price to that, you know, and and, and that is, you know, giving up, you know, uh, privacy rights and and certain uh, civil liberties you know, with South Korea did, did not have any problem doing. And that's, again, that's a decision, you know, that, you know, a lot of the, the leadership in our country needs to make. Um, we could have gone to a contact uh, tracing program very early on, you know, by tracking, you know, uh, everybody's cell phone and information, you know, about their location, et cetera. Obviously, right. in America, we didn't feel like that was the right response at the time. South Korea had no problem with it as other countries did. I think that's why in in part you're seeing a much you know different response uh from uh various countries across the globe. Some have handled it better, some have not
0: yeah when well can I get
3: some uh,
4: clarification on something you said uh just a moment ago you were talking about uh testing under the Obama administration, but I'm not sure. Uh, testing for what you were alluding to, because, you know, the 19 and COVID-19 refers to 2019, which, of course, is three years into Trump's administration. So what testing under Obama were you alluding to?
3: Sorry, yeah, just to clarify, what I meant by that is the testing procedures and protocols that the CD are supposed to be, uh, CDC is supposed to put in place <clears throat> across the board regardless of of what it is these are the procedures that the cdc uh was supposed to launch regardless of, of what kind of you know virus it is so those are the, the procedures that i'm criticizing it's not specific tests to covid because clearly we didn't even know what we were dealing with until well into it so we couldn't even you know muster the test to do it
0: let's uh let's dive into your your specialty just a little bit more here with um with running a campaign uh and speaking of COVID this kind of is a is off of that uh, according to a new paper that came out a research study they said that Trump campaign rallies have led to 30,000 new COVID-19 cases and at least 700 deaths um if you were still part of the Trump campaign do you think that holding these massive rallies is still appropriate
3: Look I think if people want to come out to support uh, a candidate I mean people are still coming out to drive-ins uh, for Joe Biden. Granted, there's space, there's distance uh, at different intervals, et cetera. And I haven't watched many of them, but maybe they are wearing masks. Um, They're requiring like they masks. Yeah. So, look, I, I think that, you know, this gets back into what we're also seeing across the country. is It's a personal choice, right? Some people want to wear a mask. You're not going to ask, you know, a farmer in Iowa— who spends most of his time on hundreds of acres of land to wear a mask versus somebody in New York city that has much closer proximity to it. And look, let's be honest. I mean, the science, this is where the scientists got it wrong early on and whether, you know, the, the, the stories are true. They were trying to do it to, um, you know, protect the inventory of uh, PPE equipment. I don't know, but the fact that, you know, mass work, masks don't work, gators work, gators don't work. you got a lot of mixed messages from the scientists, uh, involved. And I think that, you know, hampered a lot of people's ability to understand the importance of masks and to, you know, wear them from the very beginning.
2: I think that it was just that as the science evolved, as they learned more, and also in the beginning, Dr. Fauci didn't want everybody going out buying up all the masks when there was no PPE for doctors and nurses to have, right?
3: Well, and that's, that's a, that, if that is true, and that's what I was referring to, is that point, but so either say the masks you know, work, but you want to be protective of the equipment for PPE, don't mislead the American public by saying, yeah, the masks don't really work, but in reality, what we're trying to do is hoard all the equipment you know, for doctors, et cetera, because I, I, personally, I believe that the American people would have stepped up and probably would have helped the you know, medical community uh, get the masks they needed.
2: Yeah, no, I think on some level, as soon as they knew the definitive science on that, they let that out. I mean, science is an evolving, constant thing. Well, can I uh, challenge you on something?
4: I mean, I'm not clear why an Iowa farmer shouldn't wear a mask when New Yorkers should, particularly when, uh, if, you, if you will, so-called red states are where the virus is really exploding the most right now.
3: Well, I mean, I think, look, I mean, it's a personal choice, right? Why do you have a right, if you're a New Yorker, to tell a farmer in Iowa that he has to wear a mask any more than the Iowa farmer, you know, says to the New York guy, you take off your mask? I think this is where we get into, you know, what America's about, right? Personal choice, personal liberties, And everybody has a different opinion of it. Um, some people have no problem wearing masks. Uh, I don't have a problem wearing a mask. Other people this do. Is a- um, but, you know, across the board, we need to look at that.
4: This is a global health emergency. You don't think uh, certain assumptions about how our day-to-day lives uh, operate under our government should be uh, floated until we can get past an active uh, national crisis and
3: global crisis, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Right. A global crisis. And look how the global community is handling it, as you said earlier, very differently. Um, I don't know in South Korea, for example, do they wear masks, uh, you know, uh, in a, in a, in a way that, you know, everybody had a mask on all the time. I mean, clearly Europe is not doing it. Um, And, and neither is America. And As far as I understand New Zealand, which was supposed to be the model for, you know, how to handle COVID between New Zealand and Sweden, they quickly had outbreaks and, and, you know, they shut their countries down. So look, I I think that again, we're getting to issues where we have people that have different approaches. And unfortunately, as we said, the science has not been spot on on this. And I I think that's driving, um, you know, a lot of the frustration, uh, not just in the U S but in other countries as well. And, and look, I mean, at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We're trying to solve the problem, right? As far as we're aware, at least as of now, the vaccine is supposed to get to a large part of that. So the goal is to get the vaccine as quickly as possible. Well, let's talk about Um, your new book
0: a little bit here, because I know that we're a little bit short on time. I want to make sure that we uh, talk about your your new book, Wicked Games, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost is the title. Um, In this book, you say that Mueller's investigation into Russian election interference amounted to political persecution, but... Uh, during your sentencing in front of the judge, you said that, quote, you accept complete responsibility for your actions. Are you sort of backtracking on taking full responsibility in this new book?
3: No, not at all. To be clear, none of those charges had anything to do with Russia collusion. So that statement had stuff it was related to stuff happening well before the election. The, everything I say about the Mueller probe is absolutely uh, on target and accurate, and, and the two are—and that's that's a very important issue. I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people are speculating that just because I had pled, that means I pled to Russian charges. If you actually go back and look at the charges in October of 2017, not a single one had to do with anything related to collusion with Russia or anything related to the campaign uh itself i mean that's that was the whole travesty of this whole investigation if you're going to come after anybody for you know charges against russia or involving yourself in russia that's fine then do it but they didn't do that and that was the problem and that's largely because they knew in august of 2017 the fbi had determined internally that there was no collusion
2: so they found other crimes while they were
3: investigating you guys absolutely called them gotcha crime whether it was foreign agent registration violation which by the way there are eight people targeted for that and only two of us were actually charged everybody else was allowed to retroactively file including um, the brother of the uh, Democratic uh, chairman uh, John Podesta so you know it kind of asks a question like you know we have we have a saying in america right no one is above the law and i honestly think we ought to believe in that in order for our justice system and democracy to work but the problem is the law needs to be applied equally across the board and this is a great example of where it wasn't because there was political motivation and political compromise by a number of individuals inside the government didn't frankly like the fact that donald trump got elected it's not that difficult
2: If there were, I mean, there were clearly, I mean, documented high level meetings with Russian operatives within the campaign. So, I mean, from my point of view as a citizen, I felt like that was something that should be investigated. So how is it political persecution if they found other crimes while they were investigating things that should be investigated?
3: Right. It's the way they investigated. If you're being brought up on charges of Russia collusion, then you're absolutely right. Those charges should be investigated. And they were, and no wrongdoing was found. That's the whole point. To go off and then pick you up for whether you're jaywalking or drunk driving in the context of that investigation is very un-American. And look, what they did is they predetermined the outcome and then went looking for the evidence. And that is not how you operate investigations in the United States, not under our system.
0: Now, the Mueller investigation did establish that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency if it worked to secure that outcome. Uh, That's according to the Mueller investigation. Now, um, why why this connection to Russia? Why is Russia I- involved in the first place? Why are we even dealing with uh, a foreign adversary?
3: Yeah, actually, great question, because we've been dealing uh, with Russian interference and foreign adversarial interference. For many years, you know, one of the things that I learned in this is that this is not the first time that the Russians interfere 2016 was uh, late in the game compared to some of the interference that they caused as far back uh, as uh, George W. Bush uh, in their presidency. So they've always been interfering because they want to they want to bring down democracy. They want American democracy to fail. So that they can use that against us, you know, around the globe and become a a greater superpower. Uh, And and I look, you know, the interesting thing about the Mueller report was not what was in it, but it's what they left out of it. And one of the facts that they left out of it and a number of witnesses corroborated this, although they never put it in, is that the Russians were just as happy to have Hillary Clinton elected because they knew her. She was a defined quantity. They had, you know, they claimed they had, you know, a compromise on her, which is the equivalent of, um, you know, uh, corruption activity through the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton Global Initiative. So there was just as many reasons why the Russians would have loved to have seen Hillary Clinton as president, because it would have been easier to control her. Donald Trump was an unknown quantity. He was unpredictable, and they didn't know and have any information about him before coming into that election, other than what was in the business career.
0: Well, do you, so you say that uh, Russia's whole goal is to create discord in the United States. That's what any foreign adversary would want to do. Um, currently, in this election cycle, we have our president casting doubt on the election results. And maybe some of that has to do with some of this uh, this prospect of Russia possibly meddling in our election. Do you think that, that Russia has won? Because it kind of feels like that a
3: little bit. Look, I think they've, uh, I think they've made progress. Um, nobody wants to say they won. Nobody wants to conceive the idea that they'd won because then that means we're giving up our democratic principles, our democratic foundation. And, and none of us Americans, you know, want that to happen. Um, I think we need to be more vigilant. I mean, my question is, so if the Russians have been interfering, if the Chinese have been interfering, you know, for, uh, you know, over a decade now, why haven't we been able to do anything and, and why can't we do anything moving forward? I mean, clearly they're still interfering, you know, if, if the reports are accurate. So okay. again, I mean, and I, I would say this to the, you know, the current administration too, why can't we stop these types of activities from happening across the board?
2: So Russia's main goal is to sow discord and confusion and turn us against each other. And it seems to me like President Trump uh, kind of like thrives off those vibes, too. You know, he locker up chants at his rallies today. He had everybody chanting something terrible about LeBron James, who's actually doing great things for democracy right now with opening up voting stations for people. Um, you know, so, so how do we square these two, these two divisions if we have Russia trying to turn us all against each other and our president trying to turn us all against each other at the same time?
3: Well, yeah, here's the thing about that. And I, we got that question a lot. You know, President Trump created a chaos that's in America today absolutely rubbish. He didn't create the chaos. The chaos has been here as early as 2000. Okay, you can
2: probably trace it back He exasperates further. it to an extent that is unbelievable.
1: He is amplifying find it. Back way. in 2016, he did also take those meetings with Russian operatives. So saying that there's a disconnect or, or Russia's been doing this for a while, but but Trump welcomed that help. In Russia,
2: if you're listening, I hope you can find the 30,000 emails. I mean, I just don't understand how we scare yeah. these things.
3: <laughs> See, this, this is great. So if you read my book, then you would have noticed what I put in it about that very episode about him at the press conference, impromptu press conference. Calling I did not read and, it all this, yet, no. Yeah, and the day before, traveling down on the plane, he, we're watching TV, and he's watching the episode of the Russia stuff play out, he, and he said, I don't understand, why is the media all over this? Why do they think, you know, Russia's interfering? Because he legitimately did not have any idea that the Russian interference, or at that time, believed that Russia was interfering. But what he did understand is how the media works. And he baited them, and I put it in the book, and it's very clear, and he's done this many times, is he knew... That the media was going to talk about it and, and interpret it exactly like you did. They took him at his word, and maybe we have a tradition in the United States of taking politicians at their word, which is a mistake because you know, frankly, they none of them tell the truth. Um, Nobody but, takes you know, Trump at his word anymore.
2: What's that? Yeah. Nobody <coughs> takes Trump at his word anymore. I
1: mean, when that happened, I didn't. I thought he was joking, and I think most people did.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But, but uh, we also exactly. after but after except, he won the, the presidency, the didn't think he
1: was we, joking. We we did learn that there was a, a secret meeting at Trump Tower with Kushner and Manafort, along with other Russian operatives, back in June. It was a full like six weeks before he said that. So to say that Russia, what he didn't know anything about Russia. I mean, they were meeting of six weeks before that. So he he had an idea. I'm sure of it.
3: Well, that was one meeting under the auspices of somebody that uh, Don Jr. had worked with uh, in a real estate investment deal tied to the idea that they had the, quote, you know, Clinton emails. And obviously it was a tactic to get inside and talk about another issue because if they had had the emails, they would have surfaced by now. Somewhere along the way, during the campaign, out of all these people, you know, foreign and domestic, that said they had the emails. Nobody had the emails. Why? So because did the campaign get played. Bit at them.
0: What's that, Katie? Go
3: ahead.
2: Did the campaign get played?
3: I, I personally think that the uh, at that level, yes, they did. Um, because not enough people looked at you know who the individuals were. It was one contact that uh you know don jr had from the real estate world had nothing to do with the political world whatsoever uh and uh and even in the book i mean obviously i was at the family meeting before where we met and and talked about it earlier in the week It came up in the context of a uh of a a, um a a subsequent issue it wasn't the purpose of the meeting and don jr raised it and, and even paul manafort at the time said look that's how these guys operate. They all say they have a license. They all say they have the emails. They, they try to do that to, you know, get in to get something that they really want. Um, it's a, yeah. So I, I'd say to some extent, yeah, there was naivete on the part of understanding exactly what those individuals had and they didn't have anything related to uh, Hillary's emails.
0: Rick Gates, we appreciate you being here. The, the mm-hmm. book is called wicked games and, uh, Before we let you go, I had one question for you uh, that I really wanted to ask you because this has sort of come up in other interviews, and I don't know that it's been answered directly, but um, are you currently positioning yourself to seek a presidential pardon?
3: Well, look, I I mean, that's up to the president to do. I mean, am I positioning myself? I don't think there's any positioning necessary. I think the president is fully aware of what's happened to me and many others. Uh, involved in this process. I hope he sees, you know, that he, you know, we we all receive parts for the way that we are treated uh, by, you know, the special counsel's office in this regard. But it's up to him. I mean, there's not really anything you can do to position yourself for a pardon. If I get a pardon, it's great. If I don't get a pardon, I'm still going to go on with life. That's not going to define me.
0: Well, it seems he does like uh, untethered loyalty. So I think that's one way you might be able to, just based on past things we've seen. But, uh, hey, we appreciate you taking the time, Mr. Gates. Uh, thanks for thanks again. Mr.
4: Gates. The conversation. Can, I, can I,
0: I have to ask one closing question? Oh, Chris, uh, quickly, quickly. Yeah.
4: The elections tomorrow, should Trump commit to a peaceful transition of power?
3: If it's a free and fair election, absolutely. And I think he will. If there's election fraud, whether it's systemic or not, I think we also need to look at that across the board.
0: Well, thanks again for taking the time to, to chat with us. Uh, your perspective has been interesting, and we appreciate you uh, chatting about everything and being so open. And we'll, uh, uh, I guess, we'll see what happens tomorrow.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the election, uh, but don't don't expect the result tomorrow. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> that, that's what we were saying earlier. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, all right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. Take care, guys. Bye bye. You too. Bye.
2: Yeah.
0: Rick Gates. All right. That was that was interesting. Ooh. It was interesting. I need a breather. Okay, we'll be right back. Uh, We'd have to get our next guest on the line here as well. It's just a jam-packed show. Carolyn Maloney is uh, a representative. Carolyn Maloney, excuse me, uh, is running for re-election, New York's 12th district, and she's going to be joining us here in uh, just a little bit, so don't go anywhere.
5: Vote or die. It's news to
0: us.
3: Election 2020 coverage continues.
0: We are back on its news to us, and with our, uh, our guest, I wish we had more time with, but we understand that it's a very busy day and time. Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney is uh, serving as the U.S. Representative for New York's 12th Congressional District, and she's running for reelection. Thank you so much for joining us. We are, we're excited for tomorrow. We're nervous. How are you doing?
5: Yeah, well, I'm uh, nervous and excited, and, uh, I'm, and uh, I'm glad Election Day's finally come. Let's, let's get out there and vote. And absolutely. Uh, if you haven't already voted, make sure you have your plan to get out and vote tomorrow.
0: Definitely. Anyway. Absolutely. You wouldn't believe it who we just talked to. Uh, just before you, we had Rick Gates on the show. And I don't think he realized what show he was calling into because we we're flaming liberals over here.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
2: we gave him a run for his money.
0: <laughs> we we try. We try to make you proud.
5: Okay. Um, well, I wish I, I could have heard the interview.
0: <laughs> anyway well you know how they all are um yeah but yeah so so big day tomorrow and uh i think the biggest thing on everybody's mind is will we know the results tomorrow and will there be a peaceful transition of power where, where are you standing on both of those things
5: well i i personally don't think we'll have the re- results tomorrow because of the large mail in uh i'm in new york and uh, our early voting started on the 21st, and, uh, we just finished it, uh, to, today, actually. And so, uh, tomorrow's, uh, the regular voting, and there was such a huge amount of people voting. It was like unbelievable. We had to open up new voting places for the early voting. Uh, some people were standing in line for five hours to vote, and, uh, just, uh, just and just hundreds of thousands of people voted. So I think you've got to, each state has different laws, but in New York, you don't start counting those ballots until after uh, November 3rd. So that's a ton of ballots to process. And, and uh, I don't think you'll have the, the returns or or the information on, uh, on November 3rd. I really don't. I think it'll take... While to count all the ballots,
0: should we be uh, uh, should we be worried should, about this rhetoric coming from the president saying that, you know, he's trying to stop the the ballot counting at midnight tomorrow? Is this something that we should really be
5: worried about? I don't think so. He's on every side of every issue. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> listen to him anymore because he changes his <laughs> message every two seconds. Right. And and for him to announce that you're not going to count. Uh, I mean, who is he every he doesn't control that the the whole process the whole voting process is controlled by the state so each state has different rules and guidelines and it's dictated by the state legislature, not by a federal uh, official, not even the president it's dictated by uh by the state uh, legislative guidelines that they have for their voting procedures and it's very complicated this time because some states are saying that. You can continue counting ballots for seven days. Other states are saying uh, uh, November 3rd is it, and, and, and uh, no, no ballot, uh, even though it's stamped or received after that date is counted. In New York, they're giving, I think, three days after, after uh, being stamped on election day for the, for the mail to be processed and to be counted. So there are different different guidelines for different states, but I I hope um, I hope that Biden wins by such a huge margin that that it's basically over. But you don't know what's going to happen; you really don't. And with this huge number of absentee ballots, and I'm hearing it's the same all across the South and the West and California—just huge, huge lines, unprecedented, absolutely unprecedented.
4: Are you worried about the risk for soul violence? Uh,
5: I, I am, I'm somewhat concerned. All of New York is is buttoned up. Uh, Bloomingdale, Saxton Avenue, they, they're all boarded up, up and down uh, uh, the city. After George Floyd, there were, was some peaceful demonstrations, but also some looting. Uh, mm. So stores are concerned, and they, they are boarding up. Uh, It makes me sad to see that in my city, that people feel unsafe, that it's unsafe for their merchandise or their business, uh, and that they have to board it up. I think that's a very bad sign. But I do believe in the peaceful transfer of power. That's one of the things that our country has and has always had, and I think we will continue to have. I I, uh, Uh. I have a, a, a... Pardon me?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. You can finish your thought. I didn't mean to interrupt. I,
5: I just wanted to to tell you that I I, I live near uh, the the Pakistani embassy, and so I'm friends with all the ambassadors. So trying to be a good neighbor, and one of them said to me, "Let me tell you what I really respect about your country." This was about I'd say seven years ago, and and I was guessing all the wonderful things about our country: our innovations, our our, our strong civil liberties, and And uh, he said, what I really respect about your country more than anything else is the peaceful transfer of power. And when you think about it, many countries don't have it. They transfer power through revolutions and through uh, uh, riots and other things. But we've always had a peaceful transfer of power, and I believe we will have that after this election, too. And I hope we come together together. Under the
0: leadership of, of President Biden, yes, and it's disheartening that some on the right are trying to get rid of that tradition in this country. It feels to me, at least, just based on some of the rhetoric I'm seeing around and the the some of the words coming out of the president's mouth himself. Now, you're the chairwoman of the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Now, once we have President Biden in office, and we hopefully have the Senate. What kinds of reform are we going to need to uh, look at moving forward? Because we've seen uh, President Trump poke holes in everything that we know and love about this country.
5: Well, I think you're, you're going to see a united effort over uh, a, a national response to the COVID crisis. And I think you'll see a united effort to expand uh, health care for all. Um, there's been so much talk about infrastructure and absolutely no action. I think you'll see a strong infrastructure bill to repair our roads, highways, uh, bridges, uh, mass transit, uh, creating good jobs and efficiency in our country. Uh, the green new deal, a uh, focused on, on, um, uh, saving our environment of, uh, moving to off of fossil fuels and the renewable energy, uh. And and uh, in New York, we're having a lot of gun violence right now, and that's because we don't have any background checks, and uh, we we uh, we don't really control who's getting guns. A lot of people are getting guns who shouldn't have guns, and there's a lot of gun violence. I'd like to see gun safety bills passed that has uh, always been a Democratic priority, but difficult to pass. And with uh, Biden in the White House, I think we could finally ratify. The Equal Rights Amendment finally put women in the Constitution. If we're protected in the Constitution, then the damage that a Supreme Court is limited in, and how they could roll back women's rights. Absolutely, so there are lots of ways we could move forward for our environment, uh, workers' rights, uh, protect the, uh, you know, minimum wage. I could see a minimum wage, fifteen dollars minimum wage. I can see uh, lots of. Uh, Bills that we have been passing in the House that are that are um, stagnant in the Senate. So now, I, Congresswoman, I, I want to respect your
0: time here because we were told that we only ha- to have ten minutes with you, and I know that it's very busy for you. And yes, it is, I want to make I, sure that we respect that. That way, okay. your uh, your press uh, people allow you to come back after the election. <laughs> so,
5: okay, I look forward to it.
0: Okay, yeah, please do, and we'll be keeping an eye on your race. Okay, there she goes. All right. So, wait, what? <laughs> she hung what up. just happened? She just hung, like that? She hung up. Well, she, you know, she's busy. She's very she's busy. busy. I needed to give her an out because she only had 10 minutes. I was yeah. told that she had you know up. I was to say bye. I got Bye go.
1: bye. I, I am a chairwoman in the. U.S. House of Representatives. To I say. gotta yeah. go. Yeah.
0: I mean, come on. <laughs> I she's don't got, blame her. She's got an important job. She's, I, I she's would got just hang up people's on people's business to do. I would hang up on people randomly if I were in a Absolutely. position. Who cares? Uh, you gotta, Time is money.
2: Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I hang we'll,
2: up on everyone.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes. Uh, vote for <laughs> Carolyn Maloney if you are in New York's 12th. That's who was just checking in. I do hope she comes back though because she really does have a lot to uh say. And, yeah, and she's a very interesting person. Uh, Beyond uh, we're going to she's going to be somebody that we really want to talk to once Biden is in office. Uh, I
4: wanted to uh take yeah. her temperature on Supreme Court reform and see uh how she felt about that, uh, sure. but we'll yeah. have to uh, put that in our pocket for next time.
1: Yeah. I wanted to touch on income
0: inequality, so next time next time Mm. next time okay all important topics very important topics we'll be right back it's news to us all right what a show we've learned so much we've learned so much and uh, to to sum it all up Jason had this uh, brilliant thought just now and it was off the air so I cut him off and I have no (laughs) idea what he was talking about (laughs) I completely forgot what he was saying well I just I I was
1: referring to Rick Gates's
0: interview yeah from earlier we had Rick Gates we had Carol Maloney Uh, what a show just a, a, it's just a warm up for our election night
1: coverage tomorrow night.
0: Thank if you. You're live. Seven p.m. Eastern, four p.m. Pacific. Go ahead.
1: But uh, you know, Rick Gates in the interview earlier uh, on this episode or on this show, he said that the energy of Trump supporters is far greater than it was in 2016. And I, it's not that there's the energy is greater. I think the rhetoric in Trump's presidency overall and the way he's handled himself in the last four years has given these people more confidence to get out from behind the rocks that they were living under and being more vocal of who they are. I think this, this issue has always been kind of underlying and it was in the shadows of America and his presidency has unearthed them and has given them confidence to come out in the public light.
2: Yeah, no, they're all out in the open with their AK 47s and their,
0: Nasty
2: AR, beards a or AR-15s yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I do
0: have a, a related story to that. Um, yesterday, I was merving, merging onto I-25, one of our major freeways in Denver, and uh, I had to merge into a 100-car-long a Trump caravan.
2: Oh, because Whoa. all... Like a thousand of them met at Bandamere Speedway. Ah, really became a hot mess yesterday. And I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you, I
0: it made me feel uneasy because in my mind I, I you know, I was thinking about these people, maybe this is the Antifa right here. They they are <laughs> the American ISIS. Y'all ceda is what I call.
2: They're radicalized terrorists.
0: (laughs) But yeah, it was then I, then there was that big story about uh, this Trump caravan uh, terrorizing the Biden campaign bus um, in Texas. Amazing stuff. And there was like the day after I read that, I got into that basically the caravan and I was just trying to merge. I'm like, let me, how do I make it so they don't think I'm a, uh, a Democrat when i'm driving Man, no oh, I, I better i better not i better not signal I was, well no, I, I, here's I was, what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna signal when i lane change that way they oh, I'm republican yeah
5: <laughs> signaling
4: is for uh uh cucks
1: yeah <laughs> i was thinking about that this Real morning i wish skill. they had known that they were having this caravan because i would have i've talked about getting a giant biden harris sign <laughs> and strapping it onto the Suburban, I would have fucking rolled right through that fucker, rocking yeah. that Biden Harris flag. Oh, God, I wish I would have known.
2: Like the pictures of it, like you couldn't even get down the street by Bandamere.
1: It would have been awesome. Like, come fucking hit me. I dare you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not in sight. Uh... Sorry. You got to fight fire with
1: fire, Eddie. Take the kid gloves off.
2: Yeah, we do have kind of a big suburban.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is a tank. Yeah. Yeah, fuck their plastic. This metal. <laughs> <up. laughs>
0: well, I guess we could wrap it up on that note. Any final words from uh, anyone here? Again, happy birthday, Chris. I don't know if we said that on the air, but it is Chris oh, birthday. Yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday. You so much. And his birthday present it. is talking to someone who colluded with Russia. So Yeah.
4: That's what I always wanted. And Joe
2: Biden's going to win tomorrow. Yeah,
4: you know, it's it's actually I got to thank you guys for the opportunity to be able to uh, personally try and hold one of these uh, men to to account, like with my own words and you know by cornering him with my own questions. That's actually pretty damn cool.
0: Actually, yeah,
2: good, huh? It felt
0: great. Yeah, it it actually it was a bit therapeutic. It's like you know, it it's like uh, uh, facing your abuser. It's <laughs> like
2: wrapping up this <laughs> Trump bit, presidency. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's
4: dark but appropriate. Analogy. Yeah, sorry.
0: It is dark, but we're in dark times. It if is, you're yeah. listening live, please vote. Hello. Go
1: vote.
5: For and the, the love love of God. God.
1: Be safe tomorrow.
4: Um, and in the coming days, uh, hopefully yeah. we don't hear a peep from a soul and everything just goes smooth and we're all getting nervous for no reason. But if anything should, you know, start escalating, uh, around polling places or on the streets, just be safe and, uh, remember to social distance. Wear a mask. Yeah. Wear a mask.
0: All right. And join us tomorrow after you vote. Yeah, we'll be live right here on Adobe Radio at this time, if you're listening live, uh, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. All right, everybody, nighty night. Good night.
5: Appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. Appreciate it very much, Tim Apple.
0: Oh, two, okay.
1: Love Tim Apple. (laughs) Happy birthday, Chris. (laughs) Thank you, yeah.